go through a lot of scriptures this this morning. Some of them will be up uh, on the screen. Some I will just be kind of thrown out at you. So I want you to be aware if you are a note taker, here are all the scriptures and some of the points and none of the jokes right there. Um, If you want that afterwards, just so you know, I am going to ask you to um, to sort of hold on. Um, I want to cover a lot this morning. I'm excited about the things that we're talking about this morning. It's not too much material and I'm not going to go too fast. We have enough time. We can be at peace. Remind me of that about halfway through. Um, but I but I am going to kind of go full steam ahead. And so uh, I would ask you, take out a pen or your phone or a tablet or something. And um, uh, my belief is that God has a word for you this morning. God has something real practical for you this morning. And I want you to be able to jot that down and take that away with you. You know, we're, we're the Vineyard Church. We're this strange mix of evangelical charismatic. We're these, you know, now and the not yet. We're the, we want it all and we want it in a casual way and we want the power and the mystery and we want everything, right? I think sometimes we view the power of God as this ethereal sort of like we, we're just quaking in his presence, don't know what that was all about. It's, there's plenty of that, Old Testament and New Testament. But so often you look in the ministry of Jesus, the power of God is very practical. The power of God is given not just for a ooey gooey feeling, you know, tinglies, but to actually change lives. And so I think that there's power present anytime we look at the scriptures and ask the Holy Spirit to come and illuminate and apply those scriptures. There's power for transformation. And that's what we're talking about this morning is transformation. This is uh, basically part uh, two of my message from last week, A New Mind. So I just want to recap. Uh, does anyone remember the one point I had last week? And, come on, please. Dale. Darn close. <laughs> Perfect translation within the Trinity. He said, keep your eyes on Jesus. Fix your mind on God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, give them all, you know. Um, that, that, was, that was the crux of it last week. And I want to... I want to make that very practical because I think there was motivation last week, but this week I want application. Now, I can't do this for you. I said that again last week. No one can fix your eyes on God for you. No one can fix your mind on God for you. No one can do your disciplines in the faith, right? It's like I... I, I couldn't say to my son, who was a runner in high school, ran a marathon and all that, I couldn't say, hey, Benja, uh, could you run five miles for me now? I'm a little tired. I just started this bag of chips and this Netflix binge. So if you could just go take a run for me, it would really do me some good, right? Like to be able to do that. Can't do that. No one can walk in our spiritual disciplines for us. It's something God's given us. It's personal, you know. Other than the hygienist, no one else can floss your teeth for you, right? I mean, that's just, and that's only a couple times a year. You've got to do that on your own. No condemnation. So quick recap of last week. I had the one point, fix your mind on God. And I said, whatever it takes, fix your mind on God. 1 Corinthians 2.16, who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things. For we have the mind of Christ. That's a new reality for any person in Christ. You have the mind of Christ. And we talked about that last week. Fixing your mind on God is the access point of trust. 
to fix your mind, your, your being here on God. It's, a, it's the access point for trust. Remember Isaiah 26, 3. He will keep in perfect peace those who trust him, whose eyes are fixed upon him. So that, that decision to fix our mind upon God, it's the access point of trust. We, can't, we just can't say, I trust, I trust, I trust. There's action involved with it in our lives that leads to transformation. And God grants perfect peace. I said this, if you're in Christ, if Jesus lives in you, you have the ability to fix your mind on God. You can do it. You are responsible for your mental health. I mean that in the most practical ways. I realize there's all sorts of mental health issues. I was going to say out there, but I really mean to say in here. <laughs> right? But, but when it comes to the, the disciplines of the spirit and your mind before God, you're responsible for your mental health. No one else can uh, do that for you. There is healing. There are helpers. People can point you to Jesus. You know, Nancy's uh, seminar last Saturday, a great pointing to Jesus and truth. But no one else can do it for you. Because we control the input and the activity of our minds. So I want to talk about two primary ways that we as believers control the activity and the input of our minds. I'll give them to you up front. One is what we just started on last week, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Uh, taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Jesus. And we'll start there this morning. And the second um, is from Romans 12:2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That's an old translation. So we're going to talk about um, the, the active part where we uh, f- fix our minds on Jesus by taking every thought captive. And I'm going to give you a real practical tool for that. And then we're going to talk about the passive, kind of in quotes, passive part, where we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. And even that passive, that act of God upon us, we have something to do with in renewal. Okay. Have I tired anybody out yet? Randy, don't, just don't, don't do that. Okay. Okay, let's pray. Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would enable us to do everything I just said. That whole introduction. That <clears throat> I just pray that, Holy Spirit, you come and um, fill me and release your word through me and activate, activate minds and hearts. Bring spirits alive like we, we proclaimed this morning in worship. We asked for and we cooperated with. Come, Holy Spirit, and bring the transformation that only you can bring as we set our minds upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so taking thoughts captive. 2 Corinthians 10.5, we touched on it last week. Here's the, um, the action point. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Not just information about God, but knowledge in the, in the biblical way, experience of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. It's real practical teaching from the Apostle Paul, how to keep your, your mind fixed on God. You take every thought captive. Now, follow me here. It's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit tricky. 
2 Corinthians 10.5, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Jesus. John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. So we take every thought captive, make it obedient to Jesus. Jesus said, I am the truth, right? So when we look at this verse, there's a practical part of this that is saying, we're taking captive every thought and making it obedient to truth, to truth, to Jesus. But Jesus says, I'm the truth. So when we look at the thoughts that come into our minds, we are making them obedient to Jesus, not in some sort of mystical sense. Like I submit this thought to you, that's good. But it takes action point. Is it true? That's how we do it. Is it actually true? So take every thought captive, make it obedient to Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the truth. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will. Good. This is fun, right? A little antiphonal thing going on here. The truth will set you free. So I'm just putting it all together from the scripture. We take every thought captive, make it obedient to Jesus. That is to truth, to the truth of Christ, the truth he is, the truth he brings. And Jesus said, when we come to know the truth, Jesus as the word of God living and Jesus as the word of God active in the scripture, then we'll be set free. Who wants freedom in their mind? Right here. Philippians 4.8, we looked at that one last week. Finally, brothers, I'll add in sisters, it's all of us. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, just, pure, etc. Last phrase, think about these things. So Paul says, whatever is true, that's what I want you to think about. You see the progression. We take captive every thought, make it obedient to Jesus. That is truth. Truth is going to set us free. What do we want to be thinking about? Things that are true. And so the mind fixed upon God results in the gift from God, perfect peace. I mean, it sounds easy, doesn't it? See you later. (laughs) I'm going to give you a tool to do that that Jane and I learned 30 years ago when we were first married. And um, we've used it often. So in order to think on true things and make our thoughts obedient to truth, the truth of Christ... We've got to examine our thoughts. We've got to think about our thoughts. You realize we as humans have this ability and animals don't, right? You know that. Sorry, Roger. There's a lot of vet jokes in here. I'm sorry about that. (laughs) A dog can't think about what he's thinking. I think. How do I know? (laughs) We'll talk later. Roger's my neighbor. (laughs) As far as we know... A dog can't think about what he's thinking. You know, when the dog looks at the bone, he's not thinking, now, that's the best way to get the... Who knows? Maybe they are. Scrap that whole line. We have to examine our thoughts. We, we have to examine our thoughts if, if we're going to subject them to the truth of Jesus. And so <clears throat> that means that every thought that we take, you know, just imagine any thought like, I don't feel like going to work today, or my life will be perfect if only I find the perfect person or any other thought that might pop into any head in the room. To examine that thought, you're asking a couple of questions. First, you're looking at it and you want to affirm anything that's true about that, right? 
implication, there might be something that's false about that. So to examine our thoughts biblically, we're affirming truth. We're examining for any lie, any error. And what do we do when we see the lie or the error in our thinking? Anybody? Repent and replace. That was my two things, you know. You got to turn from it first. And that's an important point. Um, the way I thought about it this week in terms of just we've got to repent from our ne- from our lies in order to replace it with truth. If there's a I'm going to just make it visual for you. If there's a dead rat in your basement, you don't get rid of the stench by blowing up a bottle of Febreze. Right. And it's, it's not going to work. You're going to get a strange scent. But you're not going to sell your house. Right. There's a dead rat there. So it's the same way with our thinking. When we examine a thought from a biblical point of view, is it true? Is it lovely? And we find something that's error. I would just, as an example, if only I find the perfect mate, my life will be perfect. That's a lie because no human can perfect your life. It's supernatural, right? All the married couples say amen. Amen. Okay. Not that it's not good. It's just not true. Completely. So we repent of the lie. We throw the rat out. We throw the rat out. That's a lie. That's not true. And then we replace it with truth. You know, after you get the dead rat out, then go with the Febreze. Then go with the Clorox, right? Then make it a beautiful place for entertainment and all that stuff in your basement. This is an actual intellectual, emotional, spiritual transaction that has to happen. I think that we have to view the examination of our thoughts, the affirmation of truth, the repentance from lies, and the replacement with truth as a transaction that has to happen. You know, how many of you ever just thought you're trying to learn a language in high school and you just thought if I put the headphones on and listen to Spanish all night, somehow it'll get in, you know? It doesn't work. It's not an unconscious thing. It's a conscious thing. So this is a transaction that has to happen. And I would say very vulnerably from my experience to keep your mind fixed on God. This is a transaction that happens that has to happen dozens of times a day. Dozens of times a day. Talk to anyone in AA or in any sort of recovery. Ask them if one, you know, one repentance makes it for the next 30 years. And they'll tell you, no. You've got to have the initial repentance, but it's over and over and over again because the lies come over and over and over again. And the enemy is relentless. He's not all powerful, but he is persistent. And we've got. And so it's why James says, you know, be on your guard. The enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. First Peter something. Um, okay, so here's the real practical method. Flash that. This is my anatomy of a response, okay? So this is taking a response, something that we do as a result of a thought. And Jane and I learned this from a guy named Gary Sweeten 30 years ago in Cincinnati. Um, just a, a, a beautiful teaching that has helped us. You can see this happen in our relationship still. So this is the anatomy of a response, whatever your response might be. And in about Two minutes, I'm going to need someone to be bold and give me an example. Okay. Anatomy of response. Activating event. 
Something happens, all right? That's not complicated, right? Life happens. You crash your car. You spill your coffee. You uh, are late for work. You say something you wish you hadn't said, whatever. Activating event. Something happens. You see how it's going to go A, B, C, D? It's really fun. Activating event. Okay. Belief. The belief surfaces when something happens in our life. What do I believe to be true about A? My, uh, Jane, I got in trouble with Jane last week. I'm like, (laughs) someone says something to you that hurts your feelings. All right. That's the activating event. Now, under what, what immediately gets tapped is what do you believe? Right. What's your belief? Is your belief they love me and have my best in mind? Is, is your belief they want to hurt me? Maybe your belief is deeper. They have never loved me. You see the belief underneath that? Which results in what? A consequential feeling. How do you feel about B, your belief? Activating event. What do I believe about A, which turns real quickly? For most of us, like that. At the speed of, faster than the speed of thought. From belief to how do I feel about that thought? Which is why you can say to something, someone something with, without the intention to hurt them, and their response can be mean. And you say to yourself, what's wrong with this person? And what's happened is your event, your word, has triggered a belief. And that belief, true or false, has ushered forth a feeling, right? This isn't just psychobabble. I mean, this is just how God wired us. And what comes from that feeling, believe it or not, in the, for the most part, what comes from the feeling? Your decisive behavior, your action. And so many of our actions, you, this is great to do with your children, right? I mean, don't just preach at them, but, you know, help them work through it. You know, uh, little Sammy, I can't use Johnny because he's my kid. You know, little Sammy, why did you do that? Well, I was angry. You hear it? Feeling. Why were you angry? Because they left me out. They said I couldn't play with them. Well, what, what happened then? I felt like I wasn't valuable. All because what? They said, no, you can't play with us today. Does that mean he's not valuable? No, but the feelings are so, the belief is strong, the feelings are real, and as a result, what does he do? He clobbers his brother or whatever he does. Does that make sense? I mean, that's it. So anyone want to throw out an example? We can run through it real fast. It's only about 125 of us in here. You just want to stick with Sammy? Okay. Thank you, Becky. Bold. We're going to go through it fast. PG-13. My my cousin is OCD. Yeah. And so when we would interact, I thought she was picking on me. And so it upset me. But the truth is that she's OCD, and I don't have to take personally because that's just kind of how she operates. Great. Her, her, your cousin, you said? Her cousin's OCD. That's just obsessive compulsive behavior. There's a, um, there's a disorder, right? There's a lot of stuff going on, a real attention to detail, maybe nitpicky at, at times. And so she would act towards you and say things towards you that felt overly critical, maybe. And the result was you thought she didn't like you or. Yeah. And what was the behavior, if you can be vulnerable, that came from that for you? Yeah, avoidance, right? 
There's no way I'm going close to crazy cousin. Right? Because, well, because at that point you didn't realize what was going on. The belief triggered the emotion, which triggered the behavior. So what Becky has done, I'm assuming this since you're willing to put it out there, is she's gone through the, 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 the process of taking captive every thought. What did she say? What do I believe? How do I feel? How am I going to act? Oh, wait a minute. Let's go back to that belief. Is that true? No. She acts like that towards everyone. That's an issue for her. And so what is elicited in Becky when she realizes that? Judgment? No. Compassion. And like we just hit a gold mine, right? Changes relationships when we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus. Thank you. You get a free coffee. For, you know. um, Gary Sweeten said, uh, I read this afterwards, but this came from him, so this is 30 years old. He said, pain in your relationships is inevitable. Misery is optional. I thought, that's brilliant. We are going to be hurt in life, right? Life is difficult. It's hard. But misery is optional. Pain is something comes at us. Misery is we just go over it, over it, and over it, and over it, right? We wallow in our pain equals misery. So remember the question that we're asking. How do you control the input and the activity of your mind? And we said you take captive every thought, make it obedient to Jesus, who is truth, which will set you free when you set your mind on what is beautiful. And you do that by looking and examining your thoughts and practically working through what happens in your life, what you believe about it, what you feel about it, and what you decide. And obviously the key part of that process, which we could spend a weekend on, is how do you examine that belief, whether it's true or not? You, 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 and maybe we'll do some more on that. Robbie Hunt has been after me to do uh, Gary Sweeten's teaching here for 15 years. So hold me accountable. Okay, number two, that was taking your thoughts captive. Renewing your mind. This is another way that we control the input and the activity of our minds. Renewing our minds. So Paul says in Romans 12, 2, Do not conform to the pattern of this, wor- pattern of this world, but be transformed. And I want you to hear the I mean, English majors, okay? Be transformed, passive. This is something that happens to us. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do you want to know what God's will is for your life? Paul answers that right here. Be You know, basically he says, stop trying to look like the world and position yourself to be transformed to look like Jesus. Stop acting like the world. The Greek word is aeon, age there. It actually, it's the spirit of the age. Stop acting like everyone else acts around you because that's the way we go in this age. And allow yourself to be changed, to be transformed by God. It's a passive tense. We cannot change ourselves. I mean, regardless of the commercials and everything that you see out there that says you can, you know, have a new body in, in 10 seconds, all right? It's true. Transformation is possible when those people cooperate with the acts of God in their lives. When they determine by discipline what goes in their body and what their body does in the world, right? 
I mean, that transformation, they didn't do it. What they did was they set themselves up in a place where God could do it. They cooperated with the work of God. Transformation is something that happens to us. Just as an interesting aside, at least interesting to me, where it says, be transformed, that is the same Greek word used in Luke chapter 9, when it says that Jesus was transfigured in front of the disciples. So Jesus goes, you know, he, he brings them up the mountain, and then all of a sudden the Bible says that Jesus was transfigured in front of them. So the disciples see, this gets me really excited. <laughs> so the disciples see an aspect of the perfect Jesus that they hadn't seen before because he's transfigured. It's the same word. Now, I'm not saying that God will change us and we will go around with glory bodies, right? But think about it. There was some aspect of Jesus' perfection that the disciples didn't see until God acted upon Jesus and transformed him. And I think what Paul is getting at is, you know, God wants the world to see more of Jesus in us. And it's not just by us acting like Christians. It's by being in the place with Jesus where we what? Get transformed. Jesus didn't do it by himself. God did it. He was transfigured. God did that work to the, to the fully human, fully God Christ. And the disciples saw something they'd never seen before. So much that Jesus says, hey, don't tell anyone about this. This will freak him out. So God does the transforming. It's passive. It's done to us. What we do is that we position ourselves to be acted upon. And I have an incredibly funny story and analogy about that that I don't have time for right now. (laughs) Okay. I've already told it before, so half of you have heard it before. This goes back to the old uh, days of Disney World in my family, okay? First time we went to Disney World, well, when our kids were old enough to realize what was going on. And my kids, I hate heights, hate heights, hate heights. This is a little scary for me right here. (laughs) And um, my boys see this thing called the Summit Plummet, all right? And the Summit Plummet is this enormous fume, flume, like it's a big thing, tower, right? It's, I don't know, 100,000 million feet high. I don't know what it is, but it's way high. And you go down, it's, it's for like six seconds, you're in a free fall, okay? On water, nothing underneath you, just skin, all right? And then you go down through, and when you shoot, before you shoot into the pool, you shoot through this tube, and there are sharks on both sides. I mean, they're contained, as far as you know, but there's sharks, all right? Here's, here's the point, all right? So the boys say, we want to do the summit plummet. And I say, sure, right? Because all sorts of dad pride is like, of course I'm going to do that, right? All right? So this is what I did to position myself for transformation. I walked up a thousand steps with my boys. And I'm telling you, this is not exaggeration. Every step was, this is crazy. Like, I know in my head I probably won't die. But do you know how this is? My body is saying, Death is imminent. Because that's what my body says when I get up there, you know. So this is what I'm doing mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. 
This is not a joke. I'm praying, Lord, save us, Lord, save us. And I'm going up, I'm going, I'm going up till the final point where I'm, you know, it's, I'm next. There are 82 four-year-olds behind me, right? And I'm looking down. It's like, oh, no, you know. The least of my concern is the sharks. That's the least of my concern. Right? Here, here is my point. I positioned myself through a lot of hard work, physical, spiritual, emotional, right, intellectual, to get myself up to the place where what? Another force took control. Pride. No, not pride. <laughs> Gravity, right? That's a, that's a work of God. I lived, right? I get to tell the story. But that's the way it is with spiritual disciplines. That's way, the way it is with being, being transformed by God. We do the hard work. Sometimes it's scary. Sometimes it's difficult. It goes against our... I mean, there's all sorts of analogies there. And we get ourselves to the point where then we surrender to, we surrender to another force, a supernatural force. In my case, gravity. But in the spiritual sense, it's the power of God. We do not make ourselves fall. Gravity does that for us. We just position ourselves to fall into the arms of God so God can do what only God can do. So how do we position ourselves for transformation through renewal? And we just have a few minutes. Um, so th- there, there's a practical part of this. I'm going to give you three words that all start with the same letter so you can remember this. And if you want the notes, there's a little bit more there. So Paul says we are transformed by God through what process? The renewing of our minds. So what do we do to position ourselves for transformation? Mind, body, spirit. We, uh, we cooperate in the renewal of our minds. And I, I thought this, this week of three ways that we cooperate with God to renew our minds. The first I thought was um, scripture, silence, and song. But then I was looking for something else, so I went to word, wordless, and worship. That's my personal favorite, but you can have them both, all right? The point is there are three ways at least that we position ourselves so God can do the transformation. And number one is, is, is um, the word, the word of God. There's so many scriptures. When Paul is talking about what Jesus has done for the bride in Ephesians 5:26, he says, He washed her with the water of the word. Because the word of God, the Bible, this, lift it up, Julie, this thing right here, pink, black, whatever color you want, right? The word of God has inherent power. It's living, it's active, Hebrews 4.12. Sharper than a sword with two edges. It judges, the Bible says, the intentions and the thoughts of the heart. So the word Whatever you can do to get into the word and get the word into you. That's one way we, we cooperate in the renewal of our minds. The word, the scripture. Whatever it takes. Let me, let me be really kind but bold. There is no excuse in this day and age. No excuse for not finding a way to get the scripture into you. Today. People are busy. I completely understand busy, all right? But with apps and Bibles and talking Bibles and talking everything, and, you know, uh, there is a way to get the Scripture in you. 
It takes discipline. It's got to become a habit, which is incredibly awkward and makes you get rid of other things in your life. All good. (laughs) All good. But one way we cooperate with God in transformation is renewing our minds by getting the scripture there. You know, this scripture, the, the power of the scripture, this living, active thing, not just words on the page, but spiritual life coming into us, changing our thoughts, cleansing our minds. You know, think about one of the ways that we examine that belief to find out if it's true is, does it match up with the Bible? And if you don't know it, there is no shame in coming to me or your transforming group leader or your missional community leader or another pastor or a friend or Reverend Google, you know, to find out what, what does the word say about what I'm believing here? Whatever it might be, I am flawed, I'm no good. What's the word say about that? I'll never make it. What's the word say about that? I can do it all by myself. What does the word say about that? So that's, that's the word. That's the, the scripture. Second, silence or wordless. C.S. Lewis said, um, the best prayer, if you can get to it, is the prayer without words. What's he saying? Not just a lazy Anglican, right? What he's saying is the best way to encounter God is to let God encounter you. You just put yourself before God and be silent. It's a discipline in and of itself. Um, There's a book called Invitation into Solitude and Silence. It's on my notes by Ruth Haley Barton, teacher of mine. And it's, it's, a, it's a very practical, very biblically based invitation into what does it look like to introduce into our lives solitude and silence. Habakkuk 2.20, it says, the Bible says, um, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. It's an appropriate response to a perfect, holy, powerful God. To just be Quiet. Our mind gets renewed because you know what happens when you're quiet? What happens, here's what happens when I'm quiet. My mind gears up. And so what's the renewal part of that? Well, I get to examine everything there. True? No. True? No. True? No. And eventually you get the habit of recognizing, well, I can be quiet before God. I'll just let God speak. There's some real um, practical ways to do that. The book... Invitation to Solitude and Silence is very, very helpful. Robbie, remember that one? Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, third is um, song or worship. And uh, there's, there's a lot to be said here. A, a psychiatrist or a psychologist would do a better job on this. But there is something about God created our brains to internalize things through song, right? Our kids, we homeschooled till sixth grade. Our kids learned not just the ABCs, but math facts, the states, the capitals, the scientific method. I mean, all of it through song. I learned some of those things with them <laughs> that I didn't learn in my memorization because it was put into a song. And so there's a part of, you know, singing in worship that's it's renewing our minds. We're planting truth in our brains and in our spirits. The other part of it, obviously, is worship. Not the only thing about worship, but one powerful thing about worship is it takes our mind's focus off of us and puts it on God. 
for how many of us would it not be great for us to just take our mind for a little bit off of ourselves and look up to God? I mean, that's a habit we have to we have to um, cultivate that habit. And worship cultivates that habit. We worship God because he's worthy. He's utterly worthy of our lives. That's Romans 12.1 before 12, Romans 12.2. Our, our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Our spiritual service of worship. But we get something when we submit to God. We get our minds fixed on the pure. We get a heart in front of the holy. We get, you know, the presence, the encounter with perfection. This is what worship does to us. We don't just worship for half an hour every Sunday and every time we get together because it's fun and we like music. It is and we do. But no, we're looking at God. Remember two weeks ago, we become what we behold. It's a part of renewing our minds. Let's stand the ministry team can come forward, some people, uh, you might want someone to pray for you this morning. I'm going to pray and bless you and invite you to come forward if you'd like someone to pray for you related to things we talked about today or your physical healing, relationships, issues, and, uh, or, or to be released. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you. Uh, Mary Lou, are you going to play for us? Oh, thanks. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence here. Thank you for uh, inspiring the word of God that brings renewal. Thank you, God, that you've uh, decided it would be a great idea to cooperate with us and to invite us into relationship and cooperative relationship with you. So we ask, Lord, for faith and for those empowered wills to take every thought captive, make them obedient to Jesus to bathe our mind in truth and to cooperate in the renewing of our minds so that we might be transformed into your image from glory to glory. Thank you for your goodness, God, for your promises, for your grace and your invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.